Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who could do that too, if they had those tools. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk, show number 478 for July 22nd, 2020. And on today's show, we're going to talk about fixing joinery mistakes, goof-ups, all those things. Before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out their big annual garage sale, which includes all of the tools and accessories you need for your shop. You know what? They have a lot of stores. So stop by any one of Rockler's 37 retail stores and check out all the in-store only deals. That includes floor model sale on power tools and uh, in-store clearance and up to 50% off select overstock lumber, slabs, and turning stock. This uh, annual garage sale runs from July 30th to July 3rd through (laughs) July 30th. So don't miss it. Right now, get over there. Get on over there. And if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and setting up to become a patron of the show. This week, we'd like to thank Joe Pruitt, Jeremy Long, Christopher Klingerman, and Jeffrey Kibler. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Thank you, you guys. Those were too easy, guys. Come on, change your names. (laughs) Give me some real names. (laughs) Yeah, last time it was all ethnic. Now it's all pretty normal. Make it up. Uh, Exercise your Ellis Island rights and change that name. Yeah, I just realized I implied that non-ethnic names are abnormal. That's <laughs> way to go, Mark. I meant. Way to go. <laughs> Whoopsie. Okay, so we've got a little bit of kickback Mr. this week. Oh no! Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I'm a little biased. What can I say? Uh, yeah, we got some kickback on. Remember, we we're talking about bench mats and uh, protection for your workbench. We got some kickback on that. So, Shannon, take it away. Yeah. So both Sean and Trevor wrote in and said they. Well, Sean has a has an alternative to the fancy schmancy ones, and that's just a yoga mat. You, you can buy them all over the place. They cover most benches, can be purchased inexpensively, and they have the added benefit of being slightly grippy, which helps mm. keep, the, keep the place piece in place while sanding. Um, the only thing I'm going to say to this is I have used some yoga mat material like for lining drawers and things, 
And it does seem to like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, when Tear? you use a clamp and it leaves like a stain on the surface, like the rubber part leaves a stain on the surface. The, like the petroleum oils in it. Yeah, yeah. When it goes under pressure, it actually like spooches out and it leaves like a little oil mark. I've found that yoga mats do that a lot. Um, so maybe be cautious there. Um, depending on what you're using it for. I wonder and over then, time, like if enough dust surface dust just gets on the surface point. that it does yeah. dissipate over time. Cause I know yeah, like those rubber, um, the, the, also like a drawer liner, but the one with all the holes in it, <clears throat> if you use that as like a sanding pad can kind of do the same thing. It leaves that pattern on the work. But I think right. over time, as it gets coated in dust, it just kind of levels off. Maybe possible. <clears throat> and then uh, Trevor actually has been using a silicon hobby mat. I think I've seen these in like model stores and things like that. Glues, epoxies, finishes, peel off it with trivial, trivial effort, and it holds work just fine for sanding. Uh, protects against denting as long as the surface underneath is clean. Oh, that's a key point. Yeah. <laughs> um, $50. I felt no guilt in trimming an inch off the edge, so I allowed full access to the dog strip. Uh, it's not as durable as I like, but I find that it stays on my bench until there's a rare event where it's in the way. Uh, it's only, it's 60 inches, so it covers about two thirds of my bench. And that's been a blessing and a curse. I'm going to look for one that's full length when I do get rid of this. And he does include a, an Amazon link to it. Uh, if you haven't seen these before. That has, that's got some potential. That one. Yeah. I think so. Looks good. I like it. And the one that I have has a lot of dried glue embedded in it. That is not coming out. And if you pull the glue out, it's pulling the, the top layer and the rubber with it. Have you had this happen, Matt, on yours? Uh, I have not tried to remove any of the glue from it. Well, see, the problem is you leave that glue there and you expect that surface to be ready for sanding stuff. And I'm afraid I, if I put a board right on top of the a glue, you know, drop, it's going to do the same thing it would do. Or maybe, I don't maybe stand to on mine, so I care less. I use it more like an, ass as an assembly mat or it's just like a, hey, check out my logo. Sure. Look how, look how cool I am. How cool I am. My bench has my name on it. Yeah. Well, this, uh, I might look into the solution cause I don't know if I want to, you look pretty slick, though. you know, pay, pay for a fancy one, but I, I like to look at that one and he's right for the price. You know, if you want to cut it or do something different with it, that's fine. And I don't, you know, for functional, functional reasons, I don't normally want the entire bench necessarily. I usually have like, maybe there's a, a drill or something over right. to the side where I'd yeah. rather just have the wood surface. You know, well, even if just it's not, the, it'd be easier to move, right? If it's not covering yeah. the whole bench, at least you can move stuff off onto the uncovered part. Unless yeah. you want to do like the whole, like pull the tablecloth off and leave the, yeah. the flowers are still standing. <laughs> right. To just be a little element of fun. In your <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. That's uh that's Ghostbusters, right? Hell yeah. yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah. Nicely done. Uh, yeah. And there's also times I've already got a bunch of stuff on the bench. I only want to protect half of it. So I have yeah. the other half of this draped over the side and constantly falling off. It's a whole thing. It's a, it's a um, whole thing. It's a hard it's a whole life. Thing. <laughs> it's very tough. It's hard to be me, guys. It's really tough. Okay. So main topic today is joinery mistakes. I know we've made them. I've made a few. I've made more than a few. And uh, we're just going to go around and each of us kind of discuss the, the mistakes we've made and maybe how we fix them or the, the worst case scenario, complete do-over, which always sucks. I, I will tell you one time I, I did a glue up of a, I think it was like a frame and panel door. And I can't remember the details of it, but I glued two parts together that were not supposed to go together. <laughs> I realized it about maybe five minutes into the glue up. I realized it and it was Arizona, middle of the summer. Five minutes is all it takes. So the only way to get those pieces apart was to break them. And this, this actually is the only time I could say I've totally lost my temper in the shop 
And I grabbed that piece and threw it across the shop, smashed into the wall. And it, it did break, just not where I wanted it to. <laughs> so. I got them apart, just, you know, not a lot yeah. of seam. Exactly. It was a good glue joint, at least. It was a long <laughs> glue joint, but it was a good one. Yeah, so that might be the only time I've ever had, like, that kind of a disastrous sort of situation. Um, I can think of one recently. I was making the hall tree. And during that uh, build, we had a lot of long dados that had to be cut at the table saw on very large pieces. And that's not something I do very often. So I had those little roller things you attach to the fence that kind of help keep the panel down. And that was going okay. But I'm holding the panel from the side, right? And just kind of stepping it through and walking it through the dado cut. And I didn't realize that I had a little bit too much flex in my fence. I've got a very super cool tools fence. It's a nice aluminum extrusion. Uh, but there's nothing on like most table saw fences. There's nothing holding it at the back. So if you do something that puts too much pressure at the back, even a good quality fence is still potentially going to start to to bow at the back end. So it's because I wasn't pushing all my pressure forward, I was pushing forward, but also against the fence constantly the whole time. So a couple of my dados were off and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why is that not nice and straight? How did I even do that? And then I started to look at the video and we had a two camera setup. The second uh, cam was a close up of, you know, from in front of the saw. So it was a real nice close up and you can actually see in that view how much the fence flexed. And I was like, you stupid ding dong. And uh, realized that, you know, these things aren't, <laughs> they, they, they only withstand a certain amount of pressure before they start to deflect. And it was, uh, it was just a bad news for that, for that dado. So thankfully the mistake wasn't so bad that I couldn't just continue. It was just like a structural dado. So if it was not absolutely perfect, as long as I can get the adjoining piece in, it was okay. But that was definitely something that I was like, all right, let's, let's make sure this never happens again, because that yeah. could be disastrous on a Yikes. big project. So yeah, that was mine. Um, what about you, Matt? I'm sitting here trying to think of something epic. I can't, <laughs> I can't think of anything super crazy. I never make any big mistakes. <sighs> I, had great, oh, I had a great teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Norm Abrams. I didn't watch him until after I <laughs> knew who you were. You're welcome, Matt. Uh, really? Welcome. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know about oh, that's interesting. I didn't know about that until, oh, God, I don't even know, like early, wow. early last decade. What a millennial. So you started on YouTube and branched out from there. I started an uh, iTunes podcast oh, or whatever it was, okay. video podcast, and then yeah, yeah. YouTube after the few years later. And then uh, Very nice. I th I'm pretty sure I never actually saw Yankee Workshop on TV. I, I guarantee you I haven't. It was just like, oh, here's a free episode that someone, you know, illegally uploaded to their YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm watching that. So that's, okay, that's how gotcha. I watch those. <laughs> that's cool. That's and then, cool. Uh, what, uh, uh, David Marks. I watched his thing, but that wasn't on TV either. That was also okay. like a, uh, you know, BitTorrent daily. Look, a little piracy never hurt anyone, right? <laughs> oh, look mm -hmm. at me now. Except David. <laughs> Except David Marks. I heard him. Uh, now people are stealing your content. What are you going to do? Circle of so life. You know what? I'm like, I can't feel bad about it because, you know, <laughs> it's just more eyeballs on me. Yeah. Well, regardless of how they get there. <laughs> mm -hmm, sure. <laughs> uh, so a, a few of the, like the, uh, I guess the more common things are like cutting mortises in the wrong spots. I've done that mm -hmm. like oh, yeah. innumerable number of times. Uh, and very, very thankfully, it's always like, it's just in just the right wrong spot where you fill the mortise with some block of wood and then you recut it. And then the shoulders on the tenon end up covering it anyway. So it just becomes like a structural fix and not like a visual 
patch job. Mm-hmm. Sure. So that, that, that's the biggest one for me. For whatever reason, I'm really good at cutting Morris's in the wrong spot. Like really, <laughs> really good at that. It's pretty easy to do. I mean, you're doing four legs. Things are mirror images. They're not identical necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them, two of them are identical. The other two are identical. But, you know, if you have the mirror image ones, it's super easy to just put it into the <laughs> mortiser the wrong way or put the mortise on the wrong face. You just like, you just forget what your reference edge is. And you're like, oh, we'll use the other one this time. Nope, that's totally wrong. And that's why my my pieces and parts are constantly looking like they have graffiti on them. <laughs> Because I will make like redundant right. notes to make sure that I have everything correct. This goes exactly here and nowhere else. Yes, exactly. Uh, Sean, how about Mark. you? Yeah, I I can take that one step further than than Matt. I, first of all, the probably the number one trick that I use for saving my joinery is always keep my tenon cheeks. Like I'll cut off, saw off a tenon cheek, and oh, instead yeah. of throwing it yep. in the trash, it goes in a stack. <laughs> Like oh, yeah, yeah. over okay. in the corner of the shop until that until the finish is on that project i will hang on to those tenon cheeks because a they're, they're great for like wedges and things like that but you know it's the perfect way to fix a miscut tenon mm-hmm. and it's so much easier like if i screw up the mortise if the tenon is just right but i screw up the mortise it's easier to fix the tenon glue that cheek back on and just recut the tenon and, yeah. and go from there but i screw up a lot of mortises as well except unlike matt i tend to screw them up with great style like not <laughs> not only is it positioned incorrectly it's on the wrong dang face oh, like it's on it's it's on the 90 degree adjacent face rather than like slightly mispositioned so yeah i and a lot of times i don't know what it is like i won't even realize it until it comes to dry fit and you're like wait a minute <laughs> these mortises don't form a 90 degree angle. Mm-hmm. This is like a scarf joint with a leg in between. This doesn't work. And I, I guess I've been fortunate in some respects where like the face that I had to fix kind of is deep in shadow. Like I made a drop leaf table and the face that was wrong goes under the drop leaf. Mm-hmm. So when the leaf is dropped, it's completely covered. When the leaf is up, the overhang is 18 inches. So you'd never see it anyway. But, you know, you still go to the trouble of trying to find a grain match and <clears throat> putting a uh, a plug in in place but then i've also screwed that up by like not thinking and just hammering in a plug and realize i just left ingrain showing so i might as well just like put a neon light on it and say look here's a patch you know so then you okay now i've got to cut fi- face grain and you know it's it becomes uh, a challenge to get it to line up as much as possible but what i've discovered is i actually can cover up a lot of that at the finish stage as well which is interesting because i was always taught the opposite like finish highlights all your mistakes um which i suppose is true to some respect but you, there's a lot you can do there hmm. so yeah plugging mortises that not are mispositioned that are just on the wrong <laughs> face altogether <laughs> i wish i could say i've only done that once yeah or less than five times nice no i can't i had a mistake that happened just a couple weeks ago um doing the platform bed project so the platform itself is just a big um half-lapped frame And I did all my half laps. Everything seemed to be good. All right, let's do a glue up, right? So I glue one together and I'm doing one at a time because this thing is just so massive. It was difficult to glue up. And I think I got to maybe the second one and the pieces are sitting proud of one another. So there's too much meat in the half lap. So take a measurement and I don't know how, but one of the pieces just didn't get cut as deep as it should have. So there's too much (laughs) material there. And the problem, it's already glued (laughs) to one of the other pieces, right? Totally would have been a simple fix if that wasn't the case. And even then, uh, you know, okay, well, what do you do with a half lap that's too 
chubby. You take it back to the workbench. You get a, you know, excuse me, a um, router plane or a shoulder plane, uh, you know, and take it down a little bit until it fits. Well, the thing is, I, this is a giant L shape that's like six feet long, you know, and, and another piece that's six feet long. It was just impossible to get it where I needed it to go. <laughs> so I did wind up taking a, a, you know, hand planes to it and just working it down to the best of my abilities. It wasn't perfect, but it looked decent from the outside, which was the most important. And that messed up one went in the back. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, less chance of seeing it. Uh, but that was really disappointing because those pieces are, are fairly large. We're talking about walnut. So, you know, expensive work pieces. Um, but it happens. And I still, to this day, I don't know what, what I did wrong. I don't understand how or why one of them ended up with, with so much more material there. It just theoretically should not have happened. <laughs> so yeah, that was a good time. Uh, well, Hey, do you guys know that we have a sponsor? Nope. Shannon, did you know that we have a sponsor? I heard that. I'm still waiting on the check. Okay. Well, it's Rockler. Oh, that's why we talk about them so much. <laughs> Look at our mission. Clearly, our mission as a group collectively is to make the sponsorship as awkward as possible. <laughs> like, very intentionally awkward. You do what you're good at, you know? Just lean into it. <laughs> uh, that's what we're doing. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, having the right tools for the job is important if you want to avoid joinery mistakes. Uh, Rockler has everything you need, including router bits, joinery jigs, T-track, and accessories to make your own jigs, and all kinds of other stuff. You can find all of those tools at rockler.com. Rockler also has 100 skill builder videos. 100? Where do they get off having 100 videos? That's that's crazy. Where you can learn different woodworking <laughs> techniques, including... I, like how I, get all I get all competitive right now. What? 100 videos? 100 videos? That's nothing. I don't even have 100 videos. No, I'm just kidding. I have like a couple hundred. Okay. Anyways. Oh crap. I lost my place. Okay. So they've got a bunch of skill builder <laughs> videos, <laughs> including a, uh, oh, this is good. This is good. Matt, you'll like this. Oh, good. Waterfall, waterfall corner joints. Oh, that's, that's all I'm doing right now. <laughs> you, yeah. You need to go watch this. You could learn something, uh, cutting notches for lap joints. So I could learn something about that with the circular saw. Well, Hey, that actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that might have been a potential solution to my problem. Um, power tool solution. Uh, how to make cabinet doors with rail and style router bits and much more. These videos can be found at rockler.com slash how dash two or on Rockler's YouTube channel. I think, you know what? I'm going to bookmark that page because I have a feeling this is going to come in handy. They got a lot of stuff on there. Uh, and here's, again, the best thing about Rockler. One of the best things, let's put it that way. <laughs> If you have a question about joinery or you want to talk through how to fix a mistake, you can always ask a retail associate or contact Rockler's product support team at support at rockler.com. And here's that number again that you can call 1-800-260-9663. But you know what? Mistakes, mistakes are all preventable. And uh, if you have the right tools, the right materials, you can prevent those mistakes. And uh, Rockler is your, uh, your sweet hookup for mistake <laughs> prevention. Sweet, sweet hookup. Sweet hookup. With Uncle Rico. All right. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Rockler, for sponsoring the show. And uh, let's get back to our joinery mistakes. All right. So here's a couple of common joinery mistakes. I'm going to throw them at you guys. And you tell me how you're going to fix these things. Okay? Okay. okay. So you kind of alluded to this a little bit, Shannon. I'll let, I'll let you take this one. Your tenon's too small. You go to throw that sucker into a, a, a mortise, and it's just a little bit too loose. 
let's say, let, I'm going to give you two scenarios. One is just slightly loose. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And the other is really loose, so loose that you need to do something a little more drastic. One is slightly loose. The other's mostly loose. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, it was a bit of a paraphrasing of Billy Crystal there. Yeah. The, uh, if it's, if it's, if it's really loose, like I said before, I'll just glue the tin and cheek back on. And to be clear, I don't do anything. Like I don't plane that surface because if I've managed to keep the same tin and cheek, it's the same saw curve and it glues right. back together without any kind of pairing needed or flattening of the surface. It's fine. If you have to like make a piece, then yeah, you probably want to, um, get the, the faces flat and glue it back together. That's mm-hmm. the beauty of keeping your tenon cheeks because it's the exact same thing. Um, if it's just slightly loose, I use a shaving. I'll take, um, just reach down to the floor and pick up a wood shaving from one of my planes and I will actually like wrap it almost like blue tape, but blue tape made out of wood. Um, wrap it around it and it goes together just fine. It's, I mean, I'll usually put some glue in there and kind of put a clamp on it. But even then, um, once you put glue and wrap the shaving and then you can slide it into the joint, the mortise walls clamp the whole thing together and it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Nice. Uh, if you don't Veneer works use, too. I was just going to say, if you don't use a hand plane and don't have shavings sitting around, <clears throat> certainly some veneer, what's veneer 42nd of an inch thickness, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. It's pretty thin. Yeah. Um, but actually really one a perfect solution for, uh, for loose tenons. Uh, okay. So tenon too large. I guess you make it smaller. <laughs> That's called woodworking. Yeah. yeah. Take it, wood all, off. They, they always start too large. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Well, if it's too large and let's say, I mean, if you're working on something like the example I gave before, it's a workpiece that's too big. You've already torn down whatever the setup was. Uh, sometimes all it takes is that shoulder plane or um, a router plane is a great solution for just finessing I think that's that like- joint. That's where hand tools come in. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of times on power tools, and I know we've talked about this before, sometimes just hand pressure of your setup and how much you put pressure down on a workpiece. Let's say you're going over a dado blade with a, you know, a miter gauge or a sled. That alone can cause some variances in the tenons. So I tend to leave my tenons just a, a hair, just a little bit too fat. And then I will finesse them with hand tools to get them into each of their mortises. And that's just a... Maybe not the most efficient way to do it, but it's more satisfying when each joint is just perfectly sweetened. I like it a lot. Uh, gappy dovetails. That's a common thing. Or actually any interlocking joint, uh, box joints, finger joints, dovetails. Uh, something that will be visible in the end. Um, Matt, what's your go-to solution for that? So there's like two scenarios here where it's like, is it gappy and like the whole joint is now loose? Or is it just like one of the tails is got a hole in it well let's do both one is aesthetic and the other is functional <laughs> uh i think the bigger the bigger much bigger problem would be like if it's functionally and like structurally loose and uh goofy then you probably want to do something else like either like recut the parts or glue some veneer on the sides of all your pins or tails to get just some more space again similar to the tenons uh as far as like small gappy dovetails like i think the biggest one is like lower your expectations a little bit and don't worry too much uh then there's like a bajillion different like ways to hide these things depending on how much effort you want to put into hiding these and who you talk to (laughs) it's like the biggest difference so if you still have 
your um your joints just protruding past each other a little bit. You can always do that mushrooming thing where you kind of like mushroom out the end green to fill up more Mushroom. space. Mm-hmm. And you usually do that with like a ball peen hammer or something that's going to be rounded and you just smush those fibers around. You just kind of mush how you, it. How do you like that technique? I don't care for it. That much. I don't either. Like I've done it a couple times, but the, the, the thing that happens when you mushroom that grain, you flatten that end grain. Once you sand or plane through it, that kind of telegraphs through yeah. so that you actually end up with spots. You know, they, like it's hard to describe what they look like because it's just compressed fibers yes, that exactly. don't look like, they don't look like the rest of the end grain. You're compressing that. the area that's like at the, at the bottom of the mushroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the stem. Yes. So, so there's a visual thing that happens. So while that is a way to fill the gap, you're trading a gap for a weird spot. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I don't, I don't know that I'm totally a fan of that. I think it also depends like how much, how much mushrooming you need to do. Like, yeah, I think yeah. if you don't need to mushroom much, it's probably not a big deal. You're not going to compress the fibers beneath it so much that when you flash up your joint, you see that dot. But mm-hmm. if you got a big old hole fill and you got to go, you got to be wailing on that end grain, you're probably going to see that telegraphing effect. Yeah. And it's probably not going to look super great. So I, I think with a lot of these like gap filling things, they start to like the bigger the gap you have, like the harder it is, I guess, to naturally fill. Mm-hmm. So that the next thing on the list would be if it's let's say it's like a big gap or like it's got a. Oh, I don't know. It, it's a larger, a larger gap and it's fairly consistent. Another one I've seen is you take your saw and you just cut right through it again and you glue a little shim in there. Mm-hmm. So now you have a soft kerf with like strip, which may or may not be visible depending on the grain you happen to find that happens to match what you're doing there. The, the yeah. hardest thing with that is if you're going to be putting a block of wood or block like a, a spline in there, the the grain on your joint, your dovetail is going to be at an angle. So you're going to have grain run out. That's like the best case scenario because you're coming across at an angle. If you put a straight green block in there, you're going to see that because it's not going to match right. completely. Uh, so there's that side of things. The best area to fix is like the end grain because end grain is kind of the easiest thing to, you can hammer something in there, saw it off, and it all kind of looks like end grain for the most part. So there's that side of things too. If you have like smaller gaps and you want to just like take like a chisel and make some little like chunks of wood and like just hammer them lightly into the gaps and glue them, that's another way to do it. Um, the other way, another way you can do it is like with some filler, either actual like wood filler, or you can use some sawdust and glue. That'll work too. Um, the the thing that ends up happening with my stuff most of the time is if I have them protruding past each other and I then go and sand them flush, for whatever reason, the sander actually adds a little bit of a mushrooming effect to the end grains protruding past the uh, face grain of the board. So Mm -hmm. on the pins, those tend to get mushroomed out and fill gaps naturally and you don't have that uh dot problem with the mushrooming effect thing yeah so yeah if you don't have a again it's like if you have a little some small minor gaps not as big of a deal as you really think and they tend to sort of self-fill a little bit yeah but it's the bigger things that sort of get you i guess and i've done the filler for hairline gaps where it's just purely a visual thing there's a couple little gaps here and there if you've got like a timbermate filler that's uh the right species mm-hmm. 
it's a pretty darn good solution. Like to give you the illusion of absolute perfection. It's one of the few times I actually will condone <laughs> using, <laughs> using wood filler, you know, wood putty. Uh, very good. Okay. So let's talk more about gappy stuff. Miters. My, miters I think are a little bit trickier because if the miter is gappy, that also shows a potential <laughs> serious problem. Yeah. Right. Like if you have a gappy dovetail, chances are the mechanical orientation of the pins and tails is still intact. Functionally, it's going to be fine. But if you see a gap in your miters, I mean, you're doing a project right now that has the uh, bevel uh, cut on it. So yeah. you've got the corners as it follows around. The, the grain is following around the pattern there. Uh, you've got these 45 degree joints. If you've got gaps, there's something else going on and maybe filler isn't your solution there. Yeah, so, you have structural issues then. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Shannon, what are you going to do if you have miter gaps? Well, I mean, that you, what you just alluded to is, is it really big? Like, cause now you're like robbing glue surface Yeah. <clears throat> and you've got a, an actual structural issue. This, if it's a smaller one, this is an area where I say burnishing it or mushrooming it. You're not using a hammer in this case, but using like a screwdriver or if you have mm -hmm. a burnisher, that is fantastic. A little bit of a uh, little bit of glue um, on that. This works really well for like long bevels, you know, like a building a corner cabinet or something like that. And you've got this 24 inch section that comes together at a 22 and a half degree angle or something. Mm -hmm. um, being able to just put glue in that gap and then running over it with a burnisher or a screwdriver will just kind of slightly deform and bend things together. And the glue in between then essentially holds that together. So you're, because you're not dealing with ingrain, you're not mushrooming out the ingrain and collapsing the cells, you're just kind of bending the face grain together. That will actually make perfect seamless miters, perfect seamless long bevels, et cetera. If the gap is wide, I recut it. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, it, well, it's, there's just, there's, there's so many things. I mean, you can look at it. If the gap is on the, on the toe of the miter, then you've got too much material on the heel of the miter and vice versa. If, if you're like looking at a picture frame where you're looking like down on the, the face of the miters, you can tweak and adjust that there. But that usually involves like at the shooting board, like a little bit of blue tape. So mm -hmm. if, if I have too much material out at the toe of the miter, I'll put a single strip of blue tape on the far left side of the, um, the fence. And that bumps the, the heel out a little bit. Wait a minute. What did I just say? Too much material at the, so sorry, too much material at the toe. I'll put blue tape kind of right behind the toe, right by the, where the plane cuts. And that bumps the toe out a little bit and we'll remove a little bit more material there. So it's tiny, tiny little adjustments. I mean, it comes back to having to essentially either finesse or recut that joint because it compounds too, right? Yeah. I mean, usually when you, especially in a frame, you don't just have one miter, you got four and the tiny little error you may find on that miter probably exists elsewhere, especially if you cut all those miters exactly the same way. So you can kind of finesse them together until you get to that fourth corner. <laughs> and then that gap is suddenly a quarter inch wide. You're like, what happened? Yeah. So yeah, it usually involves recutting it all together. Cool. Or at right, least refinessing so, um, it at a shooting board. So some general prevention advice, and I was trying to think about this in a way that would be like really useful to people, but obviously prevention is only going to come down to a few things. I mean, obviously knowing how to cut a particular joint, knowing how to set up the tool for it is critical. Um, your tool calibration is going to be critical. Uh, you know, even if we're talking hand tools, are they sharp? You know, is the uh, blade 
you know, skewed at a slight angle when what you're trying to do is produce a flat surface. Um, and then of course, I think the biggest thing that helps me prevent making mistakes is running a, a test board, getting scrap. And a lot of times I will run an extra piece. Um, there, there's times where I'm milling up material for a project. I'll have some that look a little better than others. And I'll take an extra little piece of something. If it's a door frame part or whatever, I'll carry another piece through. And even if you don't want to use your good wood, take a piece of poplar, piece of pine, whatever other stuff you have laying around, run that through the whole process and label it as your extra board. And then when it comes time for the joinery, you have something that's exactly the same dimension. It's just a cheaper material that you can use for your setups. And if it works well in the setup, unless you mislabel something and cut the <laughs> wrong spot, which can certainly happen, um, that is going to go a long way to help preventing errors. And then maybe that's another thing. Mark your parts, you yes. know, use pencil to mark them, try to find inconspicuous areas to mark things. I usually will mark on the face when I first start out, then I start milling that mark goes away. I immediately transfer the mark to the end grain. And then the end grain is a spot. Most times no one's ever going to see it. So I could use a Sharpie to make a very clear mark that says this is this part or this side or whatever it is. So clearly marking things, I think, is a, a real good way to uh, prevent these and, things from happening. And too. be obvious about it. There's all kinds of shorthand out there to, you know, yeah. quick and easy marks. And that's fine, especially if you consistently use the same one over and over again. But sometimes you just got to, like, be obvious. You know, dear Shannon, comma, please put the mortise on this face, <laughs> period. Don't put it on any other face, you idiot. Exclamation, yeah. exclamation. And if there's multiple people Yolo, in the shop, yeah. you got to say, to whom it may concern. This is the right leg from facing the front of the chair. <laughs> this is this is the correct leg. I think, yeah, if you're in, in. A, if you're in like a multi-person shop I th and, and more than one set of hands is on a project, I think having some kind of nomenclature and consistency with the marks is super important. But when it's just you, just be like great advice there, because I mean, being obvious so that a week from now, you know what you meant <laughs> when you put that mark there, it's kind of important. Yeah. Well, and yeah. you know, we talk about putting them in inconspicuous places and I agree with that to some extent, but don't be afraid to mark your parts. Like, cause going back to our previous episode about finishing mistakes, probably one of the biggest mistakes is not pre-finishing, like not surface prepping and things like that. Mm -hmm. So if you put a bunch of marks, you know, that's fine. Cause that gives you an excuse after dry fit to then take everything apart, plane everything, sand everything down, you know, and when you do that, then you can transfer your mark to a, to a, a less conspicuous place during the to the glue up, but by making your marks obvious and putting them in places that you are going to have to remove, it can actually help you later on Yeah, because then you don't kind of, um, skimp on that, that sanding step or that planing step or whatever, cause you got to remove the, you know, the pencil or hopefully you didn't use a Sharpie there cause those tend to soak in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, tenon, yeah. Uh, tenon cheeks are a great place yeah. for, for, for yeah. marks. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so we do have one email here from Owen. And he says, when adjusting a shoulder for, or sorry, when adjusting a shoulder with a shoulder plane, how do you keep from taking your project out of square? I'm thinking about how when you adjust the shoulder, you are changing the shoulder to shoulder length along the piece. So let's step back a little bit for folks who, who might not know what we're talking about here. You're, you're cutting a tenon. Probably this sounds like maybe, well, no, you could do this with a handsaw and still end up with the same screwed up result. The idea is you're, you're creating the tenon. The shoulder is that short little ledge that goes all the way around the tenon. You typically use a shoulder plane to clean that up, but it's four separate. I guess it could become four separate planes in a way. And I mean that in the geometric sense. Uh, so you have to be careful when you're trimming each one up 
that they meet at the ends, that they stay square, and that they're all consistently on the same plane. That's easier said than done. I'm going to throw it to our resident hand tool expert. Mm, all mm. right. Um, starts with layout. If the layout is consistent, you should have a line um, that you can work to. Um, if you've blown past that line, that's when things get really ugly um, because now you have to remove, you know, take away more material. In like in his particular instance with a shoulder plane, though, I mean, you're really not removing that much material. So if you've got a shoulder that's high, you know, use your shoulder plane ideally to bring that one shoulder down to the level of the other three. And maybe you remove like, you know, at most like a 32nd of an inch. Probably that's even a bit heavy mm -hmm. um, because the shoulder plane is not designed to take a huge heavy cut anyway. So if you find yourself taking like six passes with a shoulder plane to true up that tendon cheek, yeah, yeah, um, something's wrong, um, you know, and then you might see an appreciable difference. But also the larger the assembly, the less you're going to notice it. Like if you've got a dining table and you're joining together the aprons and the four legs and you remove like, you know, a sixteenth of an inch off the shoulder in one end, you could probably pull that whole thing together. And while it may be out of square, probably not. And at the same time, who cares? Because mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, it's not like a cabinet that's just going to have drawers running through it. So you do have to look at the the end result. How important is it that assembly be square? But also once I do actually pull it together, because most of the time when I'm fixing a gappy shoulder with a shoulder plane, it's it's like aesthetic more than structural, right? Yeah. Well, the shoulders aren't really structural anyway, but um, it's a very little material that's removed and you might just be overthinking it, thinking I want to throw this whole thing on a square. Um, the other extreme, I suppose, is if you do have to remove a lot of material, then, you know, you, you do have to think about what did I just do? Like, did I shorten the length? In which case you really only need to adjust one other tendon shoulder, like the tendon shoulder that's opposite that in the assembly. Because maybe you've adjusted, you've changed the overall length from shoulder to shoulder of that, of that table. Use the same example, using a table. So I've adjusted the shoulder on the long apron. So what I've done is shorten it slightly. So I just need to go to the apron on the other side and adjust that, you know. So the fix is to adjust as few surfaces as possible. You're not adjusting all four corners. You're just adjusting those two specific joints to bring them into, into square. But I mean, again, I think the chances of that happening, like having to remove such a significant amount that it throws the whole thing out of square, you might rethink it entirely. You know, yeah. is this an area where maybe I can add wood back on? Um, and can I position it towards the inside where no one will see it? Or will this be in shadow? You know, um, is there a relief? Like, is there a um, like an eighth inch reveal? between the leg and the apron, no one's ever going to see it anyway because it'd be in shadow. All you got to do is fill the gap and, and you're good to go. I know when using a power tool like starting point and then using the hand tools to finesse, most of the time you find that something's off, it's evenly off, right? So one side yeah. is, is a little bit proud from one end to the other. So all you got to do is remove the material in the middle until it's flush on the outsides and you're, you're good to go. <laughs> um, what I would typically do with something like this, I want to hold that piece up. I grab a square and if it's, I'm just like, okay, this is all whacked out. I can't figure out which shoulder is square, which one's correct. What happened? I think the only way to really figure out what's going on and what happened is to kind of go, you know, maybe find your lowest point, the shoulder that's cut the deepest, 
get a square, run it along the side, and just see what's happening. Is it still square? So if that is still square and still your lowest point, you could use that as your first reference surface and work your way around. And once mm -hmm. you get to the other end, you should meet again with that other shoulder. So in, there are ways to do it, but I love what you said, Shannon. A lot of times, think about an upper apron on a table. There's kind of only one shoulder, maybe, maybe two if you're really picky about it, that actually matter visually, right? You yeah. could undercut the top and the inside uh, shoulders. You could undercut them significantly. Probably isn't going to affect anything in the, the quality and the appearance. It's really those fact, outside that was surfaces. Pretty standard practice in a lot of older furniture. You Just to make it, sure that they don't become a problem and yeah, make a gap the in the front, right? Away. Well, and you actually brought up a good point. And this, especially in the hand tool world, is there is there a gap or is it just out of square? Like if you hand saw the shoulders of that tenon, a lot of times people will undercut it. Yeah. So what you may think is low is actually not. It's the opposite shoulder that actually is undercut and it's it's driving the opposite shoulder away. It's not allowing you to seat properly. Mm -hmm. So then you come up with a shoulder plane and it's just a matter of squaring up that undercut shoulder and it allows everything to seat. So don't immediately see, okay, here's a gap here. That's the offending shoulder. It might actually be 180 degrees opposite of that. That's preventing that shoulder from closing. In sure. fact, I think that's probably more common, right? It's not that I necessarily cut this um, too deep that I didn't cut the other side. Something is preventing that shoulder from closing rather than um, the shoulder itself mm -hmm. is, is, is incorrect or cut too high or something like that. Well, and one more thing I want to mention, if you are cutting these at the table saw, very, very common thing that can happen, uh, the short shoulders. So you, you do your long cheeks, right? Or your wide cheeks, then you rotate the board up. So it's sitting on its side and you do those short shoulders and you wind up with something different. Like <laughs> it cuts a little bit too deep or not deep enough. You have proud material, um, this is something that I kind of learned the hard way. A lot of times people's fences aren't square and I don't mean square front to back. I mean, square vertically. So you actually get a slightly different result when you have your piece flat on the table saw versus when it's sitting upright. So especially if the, the fence is kind of angled inward toward the blade by a hair, you're now referencing off the top of that fence and registering at a different position. So there's one thing to make sure you check because that will haunt you forever if your fence is not vertically square as well as, you know, parallel with the, uh, with the miter slots. So good thing to do just to avoid problems. All right. That does it for us today. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Rockler is a family owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. Wow. Thanks, Rockler. <sighs> Thank you, Rockler. <laughs> wow. <It> wow. <laughs> <laughs> just, just wow. So if you guys have questions, please go to woodtalkshow.com, fill out the form, submit the question, record your voice memo, email it to woodtalkshow at gmail.com, or hit us up on Instagram at woodtalkshow. Or send us individual love notes if you prefer. Send those to Matt Cremona. He welcomes all love Just notes. Matt. All love mail. Just Matt. Just Matt. All comers welcome. Yeah. Of course, you can also look up Mark at Wood Whisperer and myself at Renaissance Woodworker. This week, 
Folks, this could be a multi-step process. What I love is when people post pictures of a mistake after they fixed it with a, hey, can you see where that was? You know, can you see the mistake? I've done Show that. us your best like, Yeah, fixes. of course I can see it. And don't it's point it out. Obvious. Don't point out where it is. Let <laughs> us find it. You know, those, those are the cool ones. Little and, challenge. And I suppose you could post another follow-up that shows like circled where the mistake is if no one can find it. But those are really, really cool. When I'm you can get post something that has no mistake. <laughs> just play it. You know what? People will still find it. Can you spot the mistake? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's right there. You used the wrong wood. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, those yeah. are fun. I mean, that when, when you know how to fix these things, and sometimes just the, it, it almost becomes an art form to, to find the right grain, not just to, to construct a patch or something that looks good, but to do it in such a way that it does become almost invisible um, is like a secondary art form to what we do. It's, uh, it's kind of a fun thing sometimes. And, and it's nice because you don't have to start over and throw away a perfectly good piece of wood that just has a mortise in the wrong spot. You know, cool. and, and, a, and a subset to this could be those that couldn't find the match and turned it into a feature. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's where those go. nice inlays come from, right? Yeah, those ebony plugs. I guarantee <laughs> you that's what that's what the Hall brothers did. It yeah. wasn't the greens that said use ebony plugs. It was just like, damn it, we put the mortise in the wrong spot. Here, here's some oh, ebony. Stick that in there. Fill it with yeah, ebony. And the greens were like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. It's a genius. <laughs> Nicely done. That's good. Okay, well, thank you for listening, everybody. We're going to catch you next time. Have a day, folks. <laughs> Have a day. <laughs> Whatever kind of day you want. Or night, you know, whatever. Sure, sure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.